Hello listeners, welcome back to another episode of Everybody's Eats, our very first mailbag edition. Uh, joining me as always is Mr. Alexander Collings. Alex, how's it going? Good morning, Ninad. How are you? Uh, I'm well. Yeah, good, good. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 doing, I'm doing fine as well. Thank you for asking. Um, but just as a point of clarification, listeners, we don't have any intro intro music uh, this time around because I'm still on the hunt for the for the right tune, you know, the right uh, the right music that speaks uh, everybody's eats. Um, so hopefully by the next time uh, we will have something good for you. So in the meantime, we have our starting clap to to get us going. Yes, that we do. That we do. That we sort of really nailed this time. So. Yeah, kudos to us, kudos to us. Uh, Alex, should we discuss some Ligue 1? Let's do it, let's do it. All right, so listeners, Coupe de France have their finalists now. It is last year's uh, uh, finalists coming again. I, I'd say, I should say defending champions even. Nantes making to the final alongside uh, Toulouse. Alex, how do we think that fi- final is going to go and uh, how significant do you think this is for either team? Yeah, well, firstly, it's... Uh... A bit of a heartbreaking one, <laughs> as Leon got knocked out. Uh, oh right, they yeah. beat Leon. Oh yeah, listeners, not beat Leon. I want to stress that they beat Leon. Carry on, Alex. Thanks, Nanad. Um, <laughs> but looking to the final itself, I've been thinking over who wins it, and I kind of feel like Not will do it again. I'm not sure where you stand on it. Um, in terms of player squad like quality, they're pretty similar. I think. Nantes have been awful in the league this year. Where are they sitting? They must be sitting around about like 15th or so now. They haven't won in their yeah. last five or so games in the league. But there's just something that I just feel like they're going to win it. Um, and they have the right sort of players. They have guys like Ludo Blas who can really like bring something out. They've actually got very good attackers in the team at the moment. Um, to lose, on the other hand, we spoke about them last episode... I think it would be a great story for them to win it. Um, but something doesn't really... I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's it's a final. You know what I mean? It can go really either way. But something is telling me that it's going to be not. And yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think I think I agree with that. I think just when you look at the uh, run-in of the two teams to the final, Nantes have definitely had the more difficult uh, uh, sort of hand to deal with they've beaten Angers on penalties they've beaten Lens which is massive and of course they've beaten Lyon yeah. just to stress once again they've, they've <laughs> thank beaten you, Lyon thank you. Yes. <laughs> and on the other hand Toulouse have had only uh, I think they only beat Ajaxio and Reims so that's only two league on teams and to be honest I think when you compare the, the two run-ins I think Nantes have uh, done better in this competition and yeah I think they can be expected to defend it once again so i guess we we shall see but i think regardless i think making the final itself is is quite important for toulouse in their first season back in in liga i think the fans will enjoy the occasion and yeah maybe maybe some surprises in store for them we'll see yeah one thing that maybe could factor in is toulouse are a lot more safe in the league than Nantes have we've just spoken about how where they've been so maybe if they get pulled into that last that last spot um Number 17th place is, you know, contested between around the four teams. And I think Nantes have kind of found themselves slipping into that into that final spot relegation battle. So, 
So maybe that's something Toulouse can rest their players. They really did rest their players for this past weekend after beating us in in midweek. So mm. it's something that they have the liberty to do that I think maybe now Mount will be realizing they don't really have have that um, <laughs> liberty anymore. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So that's uh, that's your Coupe de France recap business. Uh, let's talk about Liga and Alex. And I guess it's best to start with the games that we did watch. I know you watched Leon versus uh, Ren. Leon beating uh, Ren three one. I was great. Um, I think maybe I should speak to Leon more generally, but we really have come into our own. I think last six or so games, I think it's been three draws, three wins, but we've really been the better team most of the time. Pretty much, I think, in every game. And I think we saw that again. On the other hand, Ren have been very inconsistent as a team this whole season. You, I don't need to... We don't have enough time. We have to get into the mailbag <laughs> part for me to speak about what I think about Genesio and what he's doing with the with the quality that they have in that squad. Um, yeah. I think that there needs to be a change. We were much better than them. Um, maybe a cool stat that I came across is now, after that game... 39 of Lyon's last 42 goals have involved either through a goal or through assist a member of the academy, which is an incredible stat that I think shows some of the best about Lyon as a club and Ligue as a whole. Um, mm. But yeah, the game itself, Barcola, someone we should definitely be speaking about at some point because he he is scoring or assisting every game he's playing um, once he stepped in. When we, when we you know sent Toko out on loan. I was very upset that we were starting I mean Sai ahead of Bradley Barcola who really deserves the chance and I'm glad that he's now finally leapfrogged I mean Sai, who's a good player but definitely seems a bit out of his depth at the moment. Um but mm-hmm. frustrating and really struggles to make himself impact you know on the game. Uh, impose himself on the game. On the other hand, this is what Barcola does every game. Links up really mm-hmm. well with Shirky Shoki got an assist of something that I think he's been robbed of by us not having quality movers. So yeah, it was a great game. On the other hand, Ren looked tough. Like, Ren looked weak. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Arthur Diaz, but he struggled defensively, positionally. So there's real no, no real structure in that team, and it, it really shows. Yeah, yeah. Ren falling to, to defeat there. And as for me, I watched... Uh, I watched Rans versus Brest, which was Rans thoroughly dominating. And I thought a basically a Bezo masterclass because he was saving literally everything that was coming his way. Balogun himself had three or four clear-cut chances that he could have taken on another day, but the ball simply refused to go in the back of the net. But thankfully, they got some fortune from the penalty spot. Uh, Balogun converting to score his 18th league goal in Liga. The goals keep uh, flowing for the Arsenal loanee. Mikel Arteta's headache grows stronger by every league on passing week. <laughs> uh, amongst other results in the league, Alex, I know you wanted to talk about Auxerre as well. They beat Ajaxio 3-0. So that's back-to-back wins now for the team to pull themselves out of uh, the relegation zone. You've been impressed with them, haven't you? Yeah, I've been impressed with them basically since, since January. I think they did really good business in January, they brought in a lot of young, loaned in a lot of young players from everywhere, especially within the league. But it's it's really paid off, I think. In hindsight, we definitely should have spoken about them in our very first episode. 
Um, but yeah, it's one of those examples where January business has just been exceptional and they've they've got some great players in terms of who've actually really stepped up, um, Sengo and guys like that. So yeah, they've been impressive. I think that they're actually gonna be safe at this point. And I think they were looking not so not so great a position earlier in the season. So yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, just to cap off the rest of the results uh, from this weekend, then Auger beating Leo 1-0 was significant, but it feels like a little too late for them to sort of pull themselves out of the relegation conversation. Right on the back of a draw. They're really picking up form. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but sadly for them, it feels like a little too late. It uh, does. But yeah, Lons staying in second, beating Strasbourg and pulling them into the relegation spots. Nice losing 2-0 to PSG. Goals from Messi and Sergio Ramos, taking the capital club to victory and making sure their top spot is still solidified. Marseille dropping points again, this time to Lorient in a 0-0 draw. And I think one of the other results worth talking about is also Nantes drawing versus Monaco. Two second half goals there, including one from, of course, the magical Ludovic Blas. Uh, any other games that you thought were uh, interesting to point out, Alex? No, I think you've you've run about summed it up. I think we should we should get into the into the main part of this pod. Fantastic! All right, let's get into the mailbag after this. All right, let's get into it. Listeners, this is our very first mailbag episode. And the way it's going to work is we're going to go through the questions that you've sent us in. Um, and we're going to hopefully answer them to the best of our abilities. And some may be shorter than others. We'll just see how we go through it. Uh, and yeah, let's let's get straight into it with uh, with a couple of questions from friend of the podcast, Mohammed at Mosquare. And I'll take the very first question from him, which says, when will Alex start pulling his own weight on the pod? I'll answer that for you, Mohammed. The answer is never. <laughs> True, never. <laughs> Alex, do you have anything to say in your defense? Well, I mean, I have been heard that I've been left to my own for the next pod. So maybe, maybe Ninad shouldn't speak too soon. But no, no, the general intention is that I never stop pulling my weight on the pod. That is how I like things to be. That's you that's know? fair. That's fair. Being carried my, by my friends, and I think yeah. Nenad is is very good at that. And I, I like I like the dynamic we have. Yeah, so yeah. I think hopefully we keep it that way. Absolutely, absolutely. I think as opposed to your tactical favoritisms, you are very Liza fair about your approach to this pod. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's. I think every time, every time we finish a pod, I say, "Okay, cool. So when are you gonna get this edited?" And I know it's so just, we can... it's it's practically adult labor at this point. But yeah, <laughs> we we move, we move. Um, there there is a second question, a little bit more serious than that, though, from from Mohammed. He says, "How do you all feel about non PSG recruitment in the league now, versus a few years ago, and uh, and how could it improve?" I feel like there's a few different angles to tackle this at uh, Alex, but I'll let you go at first. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, first of all, it's hard to generalize because besides PSG, there are 19 other teams in the league and obviously changing year on year with people coming up and down um, and all the teams are doing different things. What I will say is I think in general, um, the league 
or clubs are more data-led than they used to be. Obviously, we spoke about Toulouse last week, and they're a huge example of that. But even Stade de Reims, who we spoke about before, um, Lance, uh, even Nice, are all more data-led. I think that is something that has changed. And especially when we look at Toulouse and stuff, it means we, we see more players coming from lots of interesting leagues. Um, I think more than it was before, where there were we were getting players coming from interesting leagues, but it was very much because of like teams specifically scouting in those leagues, looking in like Croatia or looking in Belgium, obviously is a very common, um, common pathway, um, but also an interesting league to get good talents from. But now with the data, it's more informed. I think another way in which recruitment has changed and maybe not in a way that has really benefited, um, uh, league teams is players, French players, especially in the lower divisions, are picked up much earlier than they used to be by non-French teams. I think Germany is one of the big teams in terms of. I mean, sorry. I think Germany is one of the big leagues, the Bundesliga. Their clubs are always now. You can even talk about. We were speaking about Toulouse last week. I'm coming back to them, but like Manu Kone, um, and Adli immediately taken away while they were still in League Two, League Two, um. So I think that's another that's another way, and that's impacted clubs like Lyon, who used to really like to do our shopping within France. We're getting to talents a bit later than we used to. Um, we're getting beaten beaten to the punch. I think it's also Monaco maybe struggle with that a bit more. So that's another way, which is maybe forcing forcing the clubs to be French clubs to be more intelligent about how they recruit, or maybe trying to be even earlier themselves rather than buying players at like twenty twenty one. Now they're looking to try get players coming right out of the French youth academies. Um, and then the last question is, how could it improve? Again, I think that depends on the team. For example, I think Lyon could definitely... I mean, Lyon, there's a different thing. I'm, I'm speaking about my own club here, but for us, we only have four senior scouts. I think improving the scouting network a little bit more to actually get to these earlier French talents... For, for Lyon's own benefit would be huge um, to kind of have that grip on like French talent that they used to. Um, very recent, still when you're getting Toussaint and Dombele, etc. Uh, and then other clubs, maybe like Monaco coming to mind, they they would benefit for, for me from less of a scattergun sort of approach of just taking pot shots on whatever players are out there and trying to build like more of a a streamlined like model that fits however they want to play. Yep. So it really does depend on the club. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add there or not. No, I think I broadly agree with that. I think every club's context is different, and uh, we've, like you said, you know, we've seen we've seen other clubs try to take advantage of data, in a sense, to sort of find a sort of I, I don't want to say unfair advantage, but sort of try to find their own ways to. Uh, you know, try to break apart from what PSG are trying to do with their dominance of the league. They want to find their own advantages in terms of how they can, uh, how they can improve themselves as a club, uh, and not try to look at PSG as the benchmark of of recruitment. Um, so yeah, I think I think I broadly agree with everything you said, and you've pretty much covered everything that needs to be covered. One thing that I would add is I think coming with a tactical advancement, and I think we're going to speak about this more later in the questions that come to us, but. I think that's also led to better identification of the types of profiles that clubs buy. So rather than just buying big talents and then trying to build a system around them, 
I think French clubs, even the ones that are mid-table and lower mid-table, now are really looking at like the types of players they want first and then seeing the best candidates to fit in. I think that might be the biggest um, change that is sort of you see across the league in, in most teams compared to, I would say, five plus years ago, where I think French football focused a lot more on the individual player than the tactical systems that they would fit into. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's move on to the next question then, Alex. Um, we have three questions actually from uh, listener Dieter van Gucht, and the first of his questions is one of our previously covered deep dive clubs, Stade du Hans. and the question is: Will Stade du Hans play European football next season? Uh, do you want to take that one, Alex? So my answer is that they won't. I looked through all of the sort of results, but I do think. Currently, they're seventh, I think. I do think that they pip Ren to sixth, but I think they're just a little bit too far off to actually to make it into the fifth spot, which is obviously the Conference League, and it's the first of the European spots that you can get get into. I think teams like no, I think teams like Monaco and Lille are just a bit too far ahead of them at the moment. But I do feel like they arguably are the fifth best team in the league in terms of performance this season. But I think they just get to sixth. Um, I think they definitely won't end lower than they are now. I think seventh. Now that they are seventh, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think Nice are gonna push ahead of them. To be honest. No, I agree. I agree. I think just looking at the rest of the fixtures uh, before the end of the season, they still have to play UN themselves. They have to play Lille. They have to play Lens. They have to play your club Lyon as well, of course. So. Uh, I mean, aside from those big fixtures, they also have opportunities where they can really pick up points in case Rennes slip up. So, talking about Brest, talking about Strasbourg, uh, Clermont Foot, Angers, Montpellier as well. Montpellier is a bit of a difficult one, but I think they'll still back themselves uh, it being the last game of the season. So, you never know. You never know. Uh, it could it could still end up being a miraculous season. But broadly speaking, I do agree. At this point, I do not see them making European football. Uh, I just I think there is still a ways to go for this team in terms of the quality, and I think the general talent level maybe sort of holds them back as opposed to uh, the other competitors. Yeah, I was I was thinking because I remember um, it was actually Igor Tudor speaking about how the quality level behind the, you know, the top, top teams yeah. is such a big difference in Italy compared to um, in France. And he used, I think he compared Spezia, and well, like Spezia and fighting relegation. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting relegation um, in Syria to, to start Durant and saying he could take three or four players from start Durant. I actually think it's not really a fair comparison because I went through it and I think they have the ninth best squad. I would say the ninth best squad in the division. Um, which I don't think Empoli or Spezia can really claim yeah. in Italy. Yeah. Um, but having said that, uh, I do agree. I think there is still that talent gap, ninth best, and then you're hoping that they're going to finish fifth, right? Um, it's a bit of a push. I think it's a good, you know, it's a feather in the cap of all still in the job he's done. But yeah, you never actually said, where do you kind of see them finishing? Do you think sixth or seventh, eighth? Uh, where do you see them? All right, I think I behind think Lyon I'm, I'm gonna, coming. I'm gonna be... coming <laughs> I'm gonna be a little bit safe with this one. I think I think they'll finish seventh. I think they'll finish seventh, seventh. which okay, so think... is honestly for their squad and for the talents. And let's be honest, this is still a set of players that are clearly overperforming their their inherent qualities, right? I think you you'll see them perform 
I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether there is a drop off next next season. I, I I mean, I hope there isn't, but there potentially could be. Um, but at this point, I do see them finishing seventh and uh, no lower than that. So I'll stick with uh, okay. with your prediction as well, Alex. Uh, I said sixth. I said sixth. I think they're gonna pip Ram. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean the fact that they won't finish lower than seventh. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think yeah, I think that's where both of us sort of see uh, runs. Uh, the second question is uh, sticking to runs, of course. The second question within this uh, sort of subject is from Tim at at Footy Burner. He asks, "Is Balagoon as consistent in overall play as his numbers suggest?" Right. So I'll I'll maybe just share my thoughts on this one, and then you can you can take over, Alex. Um, I think in terms of his contributions, sort of when you look at his contributions outside of being a goal scorer that has improved in his performances over the course of the season. Um, and I think you're seeing more and more of him sort of dropping back from the front line and connecting, linking play with with uh, with midfield and sort of spreading the spreading the ball to uh, Ito and Flips. Um, so I think that that consistency is growing. I don't think he is. I don't think you can say that he's good in terms of his link play and overall sort of overall roundedness as a striker as of just yet. Because I think his his best attributes are still, you know, hanging on the last line of the defense and then making those uh, blindside runs and you know attacking the penalty area and making himself available for crosses. I think those are still his best assets. How far he goes in terms of being a very rounded striker really remains to be seen. And I think that we should still give him some time to maybe develop that skill set. And um, yeah, I think the fact that he is showing promise in that area is good, which means that there is room to grow in that direction. I wonder what your thoughts are on that, Alex. So I'm going to be a bit braver. I think he, yes, he is as consistent in his overall play as the numbers suggest. Maybe that's also because I've watched him and we've spoken about this before, that he used to be far more of like this rounded sort of player who didn't run in behind and now he's completely flipped that coming to senior football, right? But I also read the question a little bit differently to you um, in terms of like the numbers suggesting he's actually underperforming his non-penalty XG. He's got 13 non-penalty goals versus 15.3 non-penalty XG in the league. Um, and I think it's an important thing to point out that as good as Stardaran's system is in getting the ball to him, it also relies on his immense ability to get shots off, something which I think translates well wherever he goes. So you spoke about you know his movement. I think even his movement can still be a little bit one-dimensional at times, to be honest. But what is so important is he has almost, and like forgive me for this comparison, but like he's almost from Percy-esque in like his ability to translate suboptimal like chances presented to him into actual shots that are like dangerous. Um, so yeah, I think obviously there's still this thing that we need to kind of get rounded. And I think you are actually seeing that. I took a little look at his F breath and it's looking a little bit more green across the board than it was when we did the episode, our second ever episode, right? So I think and even at the time in that episode, we spoke about how the last two or three weeks, we've started seeing him drop in a little bit more. I think that basically points to who his usage and how he's used being changed. And then the fact that he is managing to kind of be involved in this way, I think does point to the ability already being there. But I mean, I do agree. 
it's it's early to kind of say these things with certainty um but yeah i do think that i do think he is being as consistent overall as his numbers suggest and obviously we still need to see i think next season probably it'll be interesting to see what happens i'm not sure that he's suddenly gonna nail it in the premier league if he plays in the premier league let's say but i do think he could so and i don't think the numbers undermine that at all perfect yeah i mean i think it's very exciting to see where he sort of ends up because there is uh, I'd say a big dilemma for 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 Arsenal and for, yeah. for Mikel Arteta between him and Nketiah. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's as as clear cut as many people suggest it to be, or I don't know. I mean, outside of Arsenal fans, at least, uh, I don't think it's as. Maybe clear-cut. I should just listen to the putt shot part. Our last our own mailbag episode, we spoke exactly about this and like whether it's going to be in Ketcher, whether it's going to be Balogun, whether it might be a whole new striker entirely yeah. because Arteta does seem to want some target man-esque type striker. So, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Mm. But maybe we should stick to French football. <laughs> French football for now. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's move on to Dito's second question, Alex. He asks, who will finish second, third and fourth in the Gun at the end of the season? Now, this is a really tricky one. And I like I was looking at the run of fixtures that each of these teams have. And it's yeah. not very clear cut. Uh, do you have any theories, Alex? I have a I have a list. I think okay. I have an order. All I right, think go. it's Marseille second for me. I think Lance will end third, and then fourth. I've literally written here probably Monaco because they always find some way to make it in when no one's looking. But I want to say Lille, but I think it's gonna be Monaco. I just I just have that feeling that Lille. As good as Lille are as well, sometimes I feel like there's still always with Fonseca, there's like the soft underbelly that makes me maybe doubt him. But I do think they've been a better team than Monaco, which is admittedly, and I think even Inad's got on to me about, this is the big team that I watch the least of, <laughs> even less than PSG, who we both decided when we started this part that we wouldn't try not to focus on, right? Yeah. But Monaco is the, is the team I watch the least of out of the big ones. But I still do think Lille have been better than them. The season, I would say. Well, more impressive, more fun to watch. I'm a big fan of Fonseca. So I want to say that they'll come fourth, but I feel like it'll just be Monaco, won't it? Coming coming in fourth, getting that Europa League spot. Yeah, yeah. I. That's the thing, though. I, I do sort of agree with you on the fourth spot. It will be a toss-up between Monaco and Leo. And interestingly, they do play each other uh, on the, yes, on the, on the 14th of May or wherever they decide the schedule uh, fixture to be. But Monaco themselves have really sort of mixed back of schedule uh, in terms of their fixtures. They, they still play, have, have to play Lens, they have to play Lille, of course, they have to play Lyon, they have to play Rennes, and they have to play Toulouse, which is, of course, a, um, a very unpredictable fixture. You know, Toulouse can so- suddenly turn up and decide to destroy you in the, in the first half. Yeah, like they decide- Depends <laughs> if they decide to press or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, Monaco and Lille is the, is the sort of uh, dilemma for me at, at fourth. And I've actually gone for third uh, for Marseille. I think, okay. I think they're sort of, they're showing shades of inconsistency uh, in their performances. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I trust Lons more to get it right over the course of their uh, fixture list. I mean, I, I say that with, with caution again because they have, they have a really, really difficult schedule. They play PSG next. They play Monaco. They play Toulouse. They play Marseille. They play Reims. And they play Lorient. 
So those are six very, very tricky fixtures already. And they end the season with Ajaxio and Auxerre, which is, let's face it, that's six points in the bag already. Um, but yeah, I think... Well, you never know. You never know. Both of those teams, especially Auxerre, could still be fighting for survival on True. the final day. It doesn't, doesn't make that an easy game. True. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I could be eating my own words come June. Um, but yeah, I think I think, I think think I trust Longs more to get it right than I trust Marseille. As as much of a fan as I am of of Igor Tudo and his uh, his side, but uh, yeah, I, I think I slightly favor Lons in their run. So yeah. second Lons, third Marseille, and fourth between Monaco. And, Interesting, uh, Leo. Yeah, I mean, my rationale is I can see it either way. I just feel like Marseille have been the better team over the course of the season. Both have suffered with inconsistencies at times. Marseille more so; they run hot and cold more than Lons do. But I also feel like Lons. Personally, I think Lance are limited, have shown as the season's gone on, limited in the bigger games, whereas Marseille are actually quite good in the bigger games. And that's actually why I gave it to them, because they both have big games. Marseille has a nicer run. They still will play each other. All of those sort of factor in. Um, but yeah, it's a tight one. I think second and third and then fourth and fifth will be toss-ups in a way. Perfect. Okay, so let's finish off this section with Dito's last question, Alex. Will Christophe Gaultier be the coach of PSG next season? And my answer to this question is very brief. I think he does remain as PSG coach. I think if they had to sack him, they would have sacked him after the Champions League exit. And I think there's been enough backlash from the fans to actually give in. Uh, I mean, for the for the board to give in to sacking him because the fans are, I would say, fairly uninspired by his methods. But the fact that he has stayed in the job gives me some confidence that they want to give him an opportunity to keep going at least until the start of next season or at least until halfway through next season and then seeing how results turn out i do think the uh, it, it i do think the chances of him staying become far lesser if they don't manage to win league which i think will be a significant blow um but yeah uh, putting that aside i think if they do manage to back the league he will stay on as uh, as PSG coach. Uh, what are your thoughts, Alex? Yeah, I agree on pretty much every count. I think the only way I don't see him being at the helm at the beginning of next season is if they do capitulate in the league. Um, and clearly, we were speaking about second, third, and fourth. Well, in line with Dieter's question, or well, we weren't even thinking that they would, or potentially fall apart. Um, as inconsistent as they've actually been, right? But yeah, I think he'll be there next season. I also think NASA has a history of trusting his coach for more than one season. I mean, he, he kind of makes up his mind quickly in the second season we've seen before, relatively, especially to do with Champions League results. Um, I almost kind of see, see him thinking they have two shots at the Champions League. Let's see how they do it. And that's what he bases his decision on, right? Because he kind of says it is a little bit of like a crapshoot at times. So you can have the first one as like a grace, but if you mess up the second, then you're gone. Um, so yeah, I think I think it'll be based on that. There's also other stuff. I think PSG's ownership is kind of changing their mind about how they want to build the team around who we're starting to hear. Like Messi almost sounds like he's not going to be there anymore next season. Neymar is on the market. So I think that is more the focus of the ownership at the moment and stuff with Campos. I mean, if Campos leaves, it could be very quick for a very quick exit for um, Galtier after that. But I think those are the things more at the focus at the moment than 
than Galtier himself. And I think there was promise early season. I'm not really sure still why he kind of changed from that early system. Maybe it was starting to get figured out. I'm not sure. But I think there's enough to kind of keep him, even if it's not necessarily the, the good stuff he's doing himself, but more so other factors. I don't think he'll be sacked from the club before next season. I could see it happening if the group stages are going badly next season, though, in the Champions League. I could see it as early as that. But but otherwise, no, nah, I think he'll be there. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, let's move on to the next uh, questions. We have two questions from Rakesh Madagundu at Rakesh underscore 033. The first of which is, uh, which league is better on a tactical level? Serie A or Liga? I think the answer is pretty clear cut on this one, Alex, isn't it? Yeah, um, neither of us are Serie A experts, but so we can't say with full confidence, but I think it is Serie A. Ligue 1 has come on in strides tactically in recent seasons, but I still think even if you look at the best tacticians coming into the league, they're coming out of Italy. I'm thinking of Hugo Tudor and Fonseca, who've both lit up the league this season. I still think it, there's a clear difference there. Um in terms of, yeah, Ligue 1 kind of still catching up to the other leagues. And Italy, for all of its other maybe problems, why it doesn't perform as well. Although it is, what now, the three teams in the Champions League. Yep. <laughs> in the Champions League quarter. So maybe maybe this is already an update to take. But why it hasn't performed as well in Europe as your um, La Ligas and your Premier Leagues, even your Bundesliga, just carried by Bayern. Even though it hasn't done as well there, I think there's a lot of good tactics there. And Ligue 1 still kind of lags behind all of the others. Yeah, yeah, I broadly agree with that. I think, yeah, Ligue 1 teams are still catching up. You are seeing some exciting managers come through. You talk about, you know, Frank Hayes, you talk about Bill Stell, of course, this season. Um, and yeah, Igor Tudor has come in from Serie A, which I think, again, just points to the fact that, you know, Serie A is a level above and... League still has some catching up to do. We'll move on yeah. to the second question, Alex. And I think you have a lot uh, to say about this one. Uh, the question is, why isn't Christophe Gaultier able to replicate his success that he had with Nice and Lille? <laughs> Already back to the Gaultier questions. Um, to be honest, I wouldn't say Nice was a roaring success. I think they had a great squad and he finished probably whereabouts they deserved to. Fifth. And so I think it was a Good, but not a great first season. Um, and then he quickly moved on to PSG. But beyond that, I think there are a number of reasons. Um, he's not really been able to play the same in-possession system that he that he likes with PSG as he had with, let's say, Lille and with Nice. Um, especially, I think, one of the big things, he really does like a big man, sort of focal point striker. And as good as Mbappe, Messi and Neymar are, none of them are that. That does actually limit a lot of what he does, what his teams tend to do well. I also think his teams have never been the type to be particularly suited to dominating completely like territory and possession. I would say they've always been kind of they can they can hold and and work with the ball, but they're not you know they're not like what Fonseca is doing at Lille. They're not like what Pep or Arteta are doing in the Premier League, what Xavi is even doing in Barcelona, yeah. I think. So I think that maybe also didn't perfectly fit the PSG players that he had, especially now without that sort of focal point striker and the types of wide players he likes to work with. Um, but I think the biggest thing is maybe out of possession. Galtier has never been someone I've spoken about before. 
I don't think he's a brilliant tactician. I think he's a good tactician who puts his ideas across really well. Um, so he's always had a very solid out of possession side that you just don't have with PSG because already he defends in a four four two. That's how he likes to have his his block. But then you've got Mbappe and Messi up front who do no work, and then Neymar who does actually try to do work, but he's not as um, disciplined as guys like Bamba that he's had in the past. I'm trying to think on that like left side or Ikone, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that's a that makes it really tough. Immediately you're dropping into a low block every time to defend. And it's just very difficult for, for the way he likes to kind of play his transition football in those in the from those situations. So yeah, I think beyond that also, um I thought he'd actually handle it well. I thought this was one of the reasons that he was hired, is that he seems like a a well respected figure, good man manager. But my impressions of what I've read in recent two months or so is that he's kind of lost a little bit of stead or control over the dressing room as every PSG manager seems to same be Same story, different characters. Yeah, <laughs> they either fall out like Tuchel or they just lose control like Poch. I mean, Emery never had control, so I'll leave him out of this discussion. But but yeah, I think that that's happening there again um, and it makes it hard. So those are all the sorts of things about why I don't think he's able to replicate. I think that the fact that PSG is like the apex predator of the league. He's never had to use that before. I don't think his tactics perfectly suit that. I don't think the squad perfectly suits his tactics. And I think he really struggles with the out of possession, like solutions. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I don't think I have too much insight to add there, having not ca- catched as much of his knees and the other sides. So we'll quickly move on to the next question from uh, Thomas Wilson at Thomas underscore Wilson 95. He asks, which manager from Liga do you think is most likely to make the step into the Premier League? And who would be a likely club and why? So there's, I think, two or three questions in there. Um, but let me give you my answers first, Alex, at least to the first half of the question. So, I think the safe answer there is Paulo Fonseca because he was really close to getting uh, the Spurs job before before Paratici stepped in and, uh, and yeah, Conte got the job. But I think Paulo Fonseca is someone I can see making into the Premier League at some point. Quite where he goes, I'm not very settled on just yet because uh, I think the top four teams, I think you look at Newcastle, you look, you look, at, uh, look at Brighton, I mean, Brighton could potentially lose De Zerbi, so maybe there's an opportunity there for for Fonseca to come in, uh, or even Newcastle if if they if you feel like they need to do a stylistic change. But I think Eddie Howe has too much too much trust in the bag right now to to be gone anytime soon. So I think the safe answer is Paulo Fonseca, and the daring answer is Igor Tudor. I think <laughs> I think I could I could he is you know he's he's a very very tactically interesting manager and I think at some point maybe some club or maybe I could I could definitely see him at Chelsea at some point just feels like the kind of guy that Chelsea would would like uh, would like to have in terms of yeah bringing in a personality uh, and you know someone who will who will bring something different to the board and that probably be, be fair, that'll probably be after. I feel like yeah, yeah go on. <laughs> I feel like Fonseca is someone that Chelsea could hire 
and fire within two months. Even so, totally even that. so, even so. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how this goes. They'll, they'll hire whoever they hire in the summer. They'll sack the guy in six months. They'll, they'll buy out Deserbi from Brighton. They'll sack Deserbi at the end of the 23-24 season. And that's when either of Fonseca or Tudor walk into the job. It's, it's, just a, it's just a managerial circus. But yeah, I think those are my two managers. I'm still a bit conservative on Will still. I want to see him given time in Liga. I want to see him grow. I want to see where his ceiling is. And I think it's far too early to see, uh, tell where his ceiling is just yet. But I think Fonseca and Tudor have shown enough that they have the managerial X and O's you know, that we talk about in terms of the tactics, in terms of what they bring in their experience as managers. They have... They have experienced different cultures. They have managed across different countries. You look at Tudor's experience in, in Italy, working in Italy, and now working in France. You look at Fonseca, working in, at Shakhtar, Rome, and now at Lille. You know, these two managers who, in their fairly youngish managerial career, have already garnered a lot of experience. And I think that's why they sort of make good candidates to step into the Premier League. Uh, what are your thoughts, Alex? So, honestly... My most likely the step I wrote in will still at some point. Right. My my answer to this question is I don't actually think I have four coaches that I picked out. Tudor and Fosseco were two of them. Mm-hmm. I'll speak about the other one just now. Um, but I said I, I just think Will still will come to the Premier League at some point. In terms of most likely club, <laughs> I was also boring again. I said West Ham because <laughs> it's the club he's openly a fan of. I just feel like it will happen. It's at an some easy, point. it's an easy win, isn't it? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I think he would work really well with the current midfield that they have. You think Paqueta, you think Declan Rice. I can really see the way in which he kind of uses Matusiwa as a pivot. I can really see him bringing Declan Rice into that, especially how important Matusiwa is with the defensive stuff. Declan Rice is maybe the best in the world from that like defensive positioning, defensive like engine point of view. I think Paqueta would just score a lot under Will still. Yeah. Um, I think maybe maybe their wide players don't have that same short and sharp like electric aspect to them, but they're still very good. Ben, Ra- I mean, they're probably maybe better than the Rons players. You know, you know how big a fan I am of flips and <laughs> and us both of Ito, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think he'd he'd do well with those players. Um, and yeah, I think he'd make stuff work with. I can see him working with any type of striker, really. The different ways we've already seen him use Balogun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he'd be a nice fit. Obviously, that's not the team that I see him coming into the squad because I don't think he's going to leave around soon. I think it would be a mistake to at least be there next season and maybe move up to another club. But yeah, I think he was also the type of coach with his out-of-possession tactics is perfect for so many mid-table clubs in the Premier League. And that fast transition style also really, I think, would suit Premier League clubs just the, the nature of the league, especially as like some sort of giant killer, I think he could really be, right? Um, so he's my guy that I'm most nailed on at some point. And being English slash Belgian, like it just makes sense. Um, beyond that, Tudor and Fonseca, I think are both guys that could go. I kind of feel like Fonseca, I'm not sure. It depends on how well he does at Lille. But I kind of feel like at the moment, if he was to go to another club, I don't think he would be knocking at the door of like, a Tottenham again, you know what I mean? Sure. I think he'd more likely Leicester would be someone who'd be interested. I think he'd do well with Leicester as well. don't think he'd want to go to Leicester at the moment. I think Lille are in a better spot. But I think 
the ultimately it's you know it's the it's the Premier League like is the Super League of sorts. So they will the lower teams will attract these managers. You look at Emery and at Villa for example, right? And Wolves having that guy. <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Oh fuck. That guy, he's not important. He's never played. He's never managed in the French League. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Uh. My last one is I think Galtier just makes sense as some kind of hire somewhere after he's been sacked by PSG, which I think he ultimately will be. I can see him like signing for Everton, to be honest. <laughs> that would be that would be hilarious. <laughs> and being average for them. That, that's my ultimate like, opinion. I think he'd be just a fine Premier League manager. Who could last a couple seasons and then move on? You know, maybe Crystal Palace or something like that. Uh, that, that, that I can definitely see. Uh, yeah, just to add on to what you said, Alex, I think in terms of Will still, I think what really works well in terms of his out-of-possession stuff is that he and his methods, at least if they're still sort of evolving in possession, but the out-of-possession stuff really applies well to, to mid-table sides and he could instantly sort of elevate them. Uh, to a level where they are better than they currently are. Like, you know, you look at you look at sides like Crystal Palace. I mean, if, if Palace managed to stay in the league, I think them or even West Ham for, for, for that matter, either of those teams, I think any any team across the mid, mid-table pack could could definitely benefit with having someone like Wilster in the future, if even if not immediately now, because I think his, his methods and, again, like you said, his transition-oriented approach, how quickly he wants to get you know, teams, his teams attacking. I think that could really, could really benefit, uh, benefit teams. So, mm. and whether, whether he ends up being a top coach, I think that's, will follow his in possession improvements. And I think he will need to start dealing at a higher level with kind of sustaining possession and control high up the pitch rather than moving through it so quickly. Cause you can't always do that when you're the coach of a side that teams sit back against. But I think, he seems a really intelligent coach. We've already seen the signs of that as we've been speaking about. So yeah, I, I, I think we'll still will be a Premier League manager someday. I'm more confident on that than any of the other three, despite the other three all being higher profile names at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can already imagine all of the uh, football manager pieces coming out again when he eventually steps into we'll the still, Premier League. Da, da, da. <laughs> uh, Will Stoll's West Ham is unbeaten in 19 games. Da, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, looking forward to that very much so <laughs> we'll move on to the next question from uh, the Athletics Manchester United correspondent Carl Anker Carl asks how is Angel Gomez getting on and where do you think his talent ceiling could be so I think the answers are fairly short and simple from my side on Angel Gomez I think he is doing well I think for the first time in his career he is getting consistent minutes in a very defined role in a in a system that suits him and in a role that suits him. I think Fonseca has identified where his strengths best lie uh, and not putting as much creative pressure on him just yet, playing him further up front, but, you know, he's played him a lot deeper uh, as part of that double pivot alongside Benjamin Andre. And you are seeing a lot of good things from Gomez in possession, especially, you know, receiving from deep areas, spreading the play out wide to someone like, you know, to, to Jonathan David or even Jonathan Bamba. You see some press, you know, you see press resistance from him as well. I think he's, he's quite good because of his low center of gravity. That obviously helps him. But I think he does manage to 
get the weight of passes really spot on. I think that's something that he has really nailed on already in his time at Lille is that his decisions are usually, usually very good in, in terms of what he, uh, how he distributes the ball and where he distributes it. He takes inspiration from Bernardo Silva, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, I do see some similarities there. I think he can be better out of possession. Um, but in possession, at least, I think there's a lot already to like about uh, about Gomez. I'm a little bit skeptical about, you know, putting a talent ceiling on him already. I think he he has definitely shown that he is a top five league player. You know he can he can crack it in. It's very cowardly. You scared to <laughs> okay okay. You know what? what his no. talent ceiling is. Okay okay. I'll, I'll, say and... I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this. Okay. So if if he continues on his current trajectory, I could easily see him playing for a uh, a Champions League side. He could be a Champions League midfielder quite easily in a year or two. And I mean to be honest, Lille could even make the Champions League in in a year or so if if. Uh, Fonseca stays so you never know he could already be a Champions League midfielder so I think for now we are seeing what Gomez can offer it's just about maintaining the consistency and just nailing down that role in in this system for uh, for Fonseca and for for Leo in terms of how they can help him take that next step you know we've already seen uh, some evolution in that sense and how he's sort of done well in a, in a defined role but how can you take that next step in terms of being I don't want to say elite but whether you could see him play for a team like Manchester City for example that I can't say just yet so that remains to be seen so yeah, I think that's where I'm at yeah I think Champions League midfield is also such a vague term you know what I mean yeah, um, yeah but it's fine we'll move on um... <laughs> out okay <laughs> But yeah, I broadly agree with most of your points. What I'm interested in is you spoke about how he's being eased in at in playing in the pivot alongside Benjamin Andre or Andre Gomes, depending on how attacking um, Fonseca wants to be, rather than playing in the 10, which he sometimes does um, when Cabela maybe moves out wide, depending basically on how they want to set up the team. But do you think 10 is where he ends up? Because from watching him this season... He strikes me as a pivot. He strikes me as a central central mid player, right? You know, maybe as an interior in a three, but not as a ten. I think he's very comfortable DP. He likes to get on the ball. As you were saying, his pass selection and his passing ability is exceptional. I think that is by far the best thing about him. I don't think the numbers actually do his creativity justice. He's incredible, especially just not only those players who are so press resistant in tight spots. But I love those players you can receive in tight spots and pick the right pass. That's something even more impressive than just, you know, like Kovacic can kind of dribble out of everything, but sometimes doesn't have that presence of mind to pass. And I'm a fan of Kovacic. But Angel Gomez is someone who can actually know exactly where that pass, where that pass needs to be when he's receiving with two men on him. And I think that's an incredible quality to have that really suits the bigger teams. And... I think you lose a bit of that when he's situated high immediately. I, I, he doesn't quite have, from the games that I've watched, that same progressive... The quality they gives progressively isn't as good as maybe in the in the whole creating chances, right? Um, which I don't think is a bad thing because it's so good deeper. My problem with him, and I'm asking you a double-edged 
two questions in one, right? Is whether you see him ultimately being a 10. But also my problem with him at center mid is I think you're almost being a bit nice with him out of possession, but kind to him because I think he's quite weak out of possession. Um, he's just really lightweight and deals. Someone like Bernardo Silva, you know, is similar height, similar stature, but a lot stronger in deals. Also a lot more awake defensively, but I think that's something that Gomez could improve on. But it's just that lightweightness really... That's what puts a cap on my on his level for me. I don't think he'll... Just because of, of, of that... Like in deals, he's very weak. He always comes off second best. Um, he gets knocked off the ball really easily. That for me is the biggest sort of block to him actually being an elite central midfield player, like a Cazoles-esque almost, I want to say, deeper player in terms of what he offers the game. Because um, if he had that, then I think he could play for a team like City, to be honest. But he doesn't have that defensive aspect, which is maybe, I mean, City's obviously the peak, right? Maybe I'm being a coward here. It's tough, <laughs> it's tough to say you think a player will play for City, but you get what I mean. Like, I think yeah. you could play for a very, very good team. Maybe below... I think, to be honest, just below those cities and the Real Madrids and, and those sort of... That that tier of team. Um, but easily a Champions League quality player. Like, who could be starting for teams in the quarterfinals. But it is that defensive part that really... That's what puts the cap on it for me. And that's what makes me less sure of where he ends up. So, yeah. That's what I want to ask you is, do you think... Ultimately, he will be a 10, and then that kind of negates the issues with that, um, the defensive side of his game, really the physical defensive side of his game. Right, so it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one for sure, I think. Yeah, you make some very, very spot-on points about his out-of-possession stuff, and yeah, I think whenever he has played in that 10 spot for Leo, he has shown incredible awareness around the box and trying to find passes and like finding real little pockets of space that other players couldn't find because of you know just just the way their body orientation is and i think his his stature really helps him in that sense Mm. in in a creative sense and finding little pockets of space with his especially with his weight of passing he's not a particularly powerful striker of the ball he's really deft with the way he finesses the ball into space into runners into into spaces around the box or inside the box even. So I think at 10, you could possibly negate the, uh, the, I would say, the shortcomings of his game. But equally, the fact that his tendencies are to receive in possession, he likes to have more of the ball, he likes to receive, he likes to keep the ball moving. So I think... Ultimately, he wants to be deeper. Uh, he does see himself in a deeper role because that's why I think he's enjoyed playing the most. And I think the fact that he mentioned Bernardo Silva and not say, I mean, this is probably an extreme example, but not someone like Bruno Fernandes, for example, or even Martin Odegaard for that, for that matter. You know, those 10 type players, he hasn't mentioned, he's mentioned Bernardo Silva. So I think if he wants to be that kind of player, he has to bulk up a little bit. He has to impose himself a lot more uh, out of possession. And whether that will happen for him in the short term, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but for me personally, I think, yeah, to give you a sort of definitive answer, I think I see him playing in the pivot in the long term, where he will again be used at 10 occasionally, like he has been at Liu. But I think he will be sort of used in the pivot or maybe even the offensive eight in a three. 
So I think that's that's where that's where I'm at with uh, with can, tension goals. Can I pose a question to the expert Nenad Barbadiko? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. Would you think he would be starting for United at the moment, given the profile he is? I think he would. Yeah, I also I think, think he, he would. would. He just he I, would I think, add so much. I think I think he would definitely be a far more uh, suitable backup to to Ericsson. Um, you know, if if say Ericsson wasn't available for a game. And if you needed someone to start, who could provide similar qualities, if not the same? Uh, I think, yeah, Angel Gomez steps into that role, no problems at all. Uh, yeah, I think I think he definitely does fill in that uh, requirement. Okay, let's move on to uh, another legal question that we've had from friend of the podcast, Ritwik Rajendran, at Ritwik Rajendra. He asks, why is Aiden Jigrova not getting enough minutes for Leo? And how will he live up to the Kosovo Messi tag if he can't get those minutes? Alex. So it's funny because I only just checked now to see that he actually isn't getting that many minutes because it feels like every time I watch Lille, I see him coming off the bench or or playing, right? Um, but ultimately, I, I just think he's not exactly the perfect profile for what Fonseca likes to use as those two wide players behind the striker. Mainly, he's kind of, I would say, Zagrova is a really good, effective player when used how he should be used, but that is quite wide coming in, not really as like a needle player in the half space, which I think sometimes people have that idea of him because he is called the Kosovan Messi, but he isn't He isn't really Kosovan Messi beyond nice dribbling and a good left foot right um so yeah that's what i would say he's not really multifaceted enough as of yet to really work in those half spaces under um fonseca but having said that i do have the impression that fonseca is a fan of him and a fan of what he brings to the team so i don't think i don't think he's a player that they're looking to move on necessarily maybe we'll see what happens in the summer but i think he's he's quite a useful player Fonseca spoke recently about how Eron adds something different to the side. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. But also, how will he live up to the Kosovan Messi tag if he can't get the minutes? I don't think he ever will really be on that <laughs> level of player. I think he's just a little bit... Um, at the moment, maybe he does add a bit more to his game. But at the moment, he's a bit one-dimensional in where he likes to receive in the areas he likes to be playing in the situations he likes to be playing to be effective um but he is a game-changing player so i think he, he's still quite important for them is my impression no yeah i agree i broadly agree with that i think yeah, there is still i think there's there's profiles in this team that suit fonseca's system better than he does at the moment but the fact that he has kept him on like you said i think fonseca does trust him to play a role mm. in his team if that if that isn't a regular starting role, he does believe that he can impact games off the bench, and we have seen that in the past. Yeah, yeah. I have to say he reminds me of a far less frustrating, better version of Bertrand Traore in a way. Um, maybe it's because far less frustrating because I don't have to watch him every game. I feel like yeah. when you're a fan of a team, suddenly that player annoys you a lot more. Bertrand Traore definitely was frustrating to watch, but also a very very effective player when you put him in certain states. You got the ball to him in certain areas and a game changer who the type of player that you do maybe i never really wanted him starting but there were times when i was like we should get him off the bench in this situation and i think sick rover really does add those options and especially with how we think about especially the football world how it thinks about substitutes and i was not really being substitutes but 
closers or tactical like tools to change a game, right? Impactors. I think Arteta spoke about his <laughs> years. I know, always going back to Arteta. But uh. <laughs> it's a special season. We have to. Um, but I think Zagrove is very important from that from that perspective. And I I think I'm not wrong in saying he's even played right wing back for them once or twice this season. I mean, obviously he's used Timothy Way in those at at left back and at right back. But but yeah, I think he's an interesting tool for them to use when they need to have someone who receives wide and can cut in. For sure, for sure. So let's see. Let's see how sort of he develops into into that squad at under Fonseca's tutelage. We'll move on to another club now, Alex. We'll talk about uh, Strasbourg next. And Neil Sheelath, friend of the podcast, has asked a question. What has caused uh, Strasbourg's huge drop-off from last season to this? Uh, and, I, and I know you will have some tactical ideas to share about Stefan's fall from grace this season, Alex. I think it's worth just going over how their season has been overall. Like, you know, lack of results hasn't helped. Hasn't helped the club at all. I mean, they're sort of in 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 a battle against uh, in a battle against relegation. Still, just one point. I mean, it's goal difference is the only thing that's keeping them away from away from the relegation zone. You know, losing key players like Ludovic York and Adrian Thomason hasn't helped in January. Before that, in the summer, they lost Anthony Kachi to Mainz on a on a free transfer, and again, not doing enough business has potentially hurt them. And I, I do see that, you know, considering still that they've brought Frédéric Gilbert and uh, Morgan Sanson, those are two characters that have maybe come in, but maybe a little too late for them to really impact their season as a whole. It, it I feel like the season's hanging in the balance and it, they could potentially go down the season, which would be sad to see. But yeah, Strasbourg have really, really tailed off from what seemed like a really impressive season last year under under Stefan Alex what are your sort of thoughts on on the pitch is what what has led to this it's a it's a hard one to really get into but I guess one thing is I have to say I thought Strasbourg you know I'm a big fan of Julian Stefan I really thought that they would kind of despite the key players that they did lose in the summer I thought maybe they would drop off a little bit not much that they'd still kind of you know end in the top 10 or something um, which they obviously haven't. They're sitting just above the relegation zone. They're, you know, bigger than normal relegation zone. Um, but what we have seen, I guess, is teams do kind of figure out Stefan's tactics. I think Stefan can be quite resourceful in terms of the tactics that he uses fitting into the squad, but then maybe doesn't try evolve or change them enough. That's the impression that I get. So he used quite a direct, but like interesting in terms of how you get the ball into the penalty area, or into the around the penalty area um, tactics under Strasbourg last season. I think teams have kind of worked that out. And then what we've seen with Stefan is he really struggles to turn things around once things start going badly. And it is quite a red flag for him as a manager. Still a young coach, but, but yeah, I think from there, he didn't really manage to work out how to fix it. And then morale kind of dipped and it all started falling apart. But it is, it's still a bit of a mystery to me how the drop-off was this huge. But I, not to defend them overly so, but the performance last season was a big overperformance in terms of squad quality. I think they have very good strikers. I actually think they have some really nice pieces in their team. Um, they don't have a 
squad that was nearly like of the quality to re- to end sixth last year. So the drop off was inevitable in a bit, and he just stopped overperforming to that part, and then maybe underperformed a bit. But I have to be honest, it is still one of the weaker teams in the division on squad quality, maybe bottom six or so. So or maybe bottom seven, somewhere around there. So I don't think it's super unfair, but it is a little bit, yeah. Basically, Stefan stopped making them more than the sum of their parts. And then from there suffered as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if, if he can survive. Sorry, if if, uh, if Strasbourg can survive. Yeah, he's and, already uh, he's already not survived. He's already, <laughs> not, he's already not survived. Yeah, exactly. He's already not survived at all. Um, but yeah, that, that is uh, Strasbourg's story so far. Um, let's let's move on towards the end of uh, the mailbag questions, Alex. And we have another question from a friend of the podcast, Casey Evans, at Casey underscore Evans. He asks, do you think the reduction in places in the league will have a big effect going forward? Uh, Alex, do you have any special thoughts on that? I don't really think it will, but I'm not really sure what I'm expecting. I think it'll be interesting. Um... I'm kind of in favor it weird, weirdly of the reduction. Maybe it's just because we are getting so oversaturated with football at this point that I feel like making the league a little bit smaller is kind of a respite, especially for the the players and stuff to keep the quality up. But in terms of having an effect on dynamics within the division, I'm not so sure. Maybe things might be a little bit tighter at the bottom. Um one of the things with the Bundesliga that has become a problem, and I'm not sure if this accentuates this, and you would know more about this than I, Nenad, um, but isn't it that it creates quite a big gulf between the top division and the and the second tier? Just having... Yeah. But that's yeah. also partly down to the two promoted, two relegated, which has already been an issue in mm. in French football. So that was always the bigger issue for me, is that I think it's still... I would prefer more so than having the um the reduction. I mean, the reduction can happen, but I'd still like there to be three automatic promotions and three automatic relegations. That's a personal thing. I guess one other thing is maybe we see a little bit less um, of young players, but not overly so. I don't think it'll be that impactful. Um, it should just space things out. Maybe I'm kind of just... Thinking all of the different ideas, though, will it see an improvement in Europe? Just those marginal gains will mean squads, not Lyon, but other ones in Europe next season, <laughs> will be a lot more fresh. Maybe there'll be there'll be benefit there. Um, but ultimately, I don't think there'll be a huge effect. But maybe I'm just not seeing it. Yeah, I was, I was looking into why they originally decided to reduce teams. I think one of the reasons was the fallout and sort of the effects of the pandemic, the financial mm-hmm. effects at least, and um, the delayed payments. Uh, you know, we, we saw the broadcasting sort of mess that happened with Liga during that period. So I think this is one move to sort of alleviate those sort of economic pressures on teams, which is... How, how will yeah. it do that? Do you know? It's interesting. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll have to ask a financial expert about that. But that is that is one reason that they've sort of... Uh, yeah, I think reducing teams means there is more money for the, for the present teams. teams. Yeah. yeah, so that's I think that's one way to look at it. But also, uh, 
Yeah, I was just looking at this is this is not the first time this has happened in Liga, and of course, you know there were eighteen teams in the two thousand two two thousand three season. That was when it was expanded to twenty, and mm. before that it was it was eighteen always. So that's one thing, and they also I think the president of the French FA made this statement, uh, which not two years ago now, but he said that he wanted to make Liga one of the most competitive leagues in in Europe in the in the in in the top five leagues, which I think, yeah, you could you could argue that it is not probably it is probably the lowest in that sort of ladder of team leagues in in the top five when you look at absolutely with Serie it's, a, it's not even La comparing Liga. well to the likes of Portugal at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I know, I agree, I agree, and I think another another objective of that at least was to attract investors to the league, which I think I mean recent evidence suggests that there is some success in that. You know, you look at Toulouse getting a Redbird capital on board. You look at uh, John Texter taking over at Lyon. You look at, um, I forget the guy's name at Lorient, but Lorient also, of course, have had, have new investment uh, from from the owner of Bournemouth. So, and again, Todd Bowley was interested in Strasbourg. So there is, there is new investment coming in. So I think in that sense, uh, outsiders and investors at least see Ligon as a potential booming ground for for their talents and for their clubs, which potentially isn't reflecting as well on where those leagues and where those you know stakeholders see Ligon as part of the whole football landscape and being one of the lower lower tier leagues uh, as such. Like you say that you know obviously they don't compare as well even with uh, the Portuguese league. Um, but yeah, I think it it remains to be seen how it will impact uh, things going forward and just in terms of the league landscape as a whole how that changes things and makes the league a lot more competitive so we'll see we'll see um yeah let's let's move on to the uh, last or the second to last question from a friend of the podcast Colin Carpenter at Colin Carpenter Alex, please tell everyone <laughs> why Lorient are the best club in France. <laughs> Not even a question mark to kind of pose as a question there. Um, <laughs> well, they're not. Lyon, I would say, is the best club in France, um, quite respectfully. But I do love Lorient. Um, I think people will know. They're kind of like, in a way, Southampton's always been like my second team. And I really put that in like quotation marks. Um in the Premier League, I just love the club. I love how they've run. I've, I've loved a lot of players that have come through there. I feel very much the same about Lorient in France. Um, didn't really watch much Ligue 1 football back in the 2008 to 2011 period. But um, but they had really exciting team back then. Or like a classic like mid-table awesome team. They had Laurent Koscielny. Um they had Kevin Gamero, who was pretty much the star of the side. And this is where he really made his breakthrough. I think he scored about 50 goals and 100 or so appearances um, in Ligue 1 for them, which is really good for a mid-table side. Um, I remember watching lots of compilations of him and wanting him to come to Arsenal. <laughs> they had Morgan Amalfitano, just a class player. They had an Arnaut Movember. So a lot of really cool teams. They played nice sort of 4-4-2 like Wenger ball light football in a way, but more like transitional based, I guess. Um, and yeah, even now I like how they run. I think they got a bit shafted in January um, 
with how they lost some players and that that was sad because I think they were having a, a, a quietly special season. But I like how they've rebuilt. Um, I admire how the club is run. I like the area that the club is in. I think orange is a cool color for a kids. Um, so yeah, that's why maybe they're the second best club in France. In my in my humble opinion. <laughs> no, yeah, I I fully agree with your humble opinion. I I do like I do like Lorient. I I like I like some of their players. Obviously, I'm a big fan of of uh, their former player, Tarim Murphy. But I do enjoy the likes of Ponso. Even I don't think he gets mentioned uh, as much. Or Abajal. Abajal even yeah, mm-hmm. and some of the more recent players looking at you know Jean Victor Mckengo. Again, another fun pair to watch. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think fun, fun team, fun team to watch. And then and of course there's can, Enzo. We can't yeah, forget I mean, Enzo. Yeah, we can't forget Enzo. Nobody, nobody will let us forget Enzo Lefe. <laughs> uh, interesting to see how much longer he remains a Lorient player. At least not beyond the summer, I would imagine. He doesn't. Not he, according he to himself. Has, yeah. Yeah. Not not according to himself. Even he said that he fully expects to to leave Lorient for a record fee. You know, way to back your own talents. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, well, let's let's wrap it up with the final question, and I think we get let's let's give each other a couple of answers for this question. So again, this this question comes from Kira, friend of the podcast. She asks, "What uh, what would be your favorite uh, club badge to sort of, uh, or I'd say, which would be your uh, club whose badge you would like to redesign?" Uh-huh. Um, and which which is your which is your favorite club badge? I think those are two questions. So the club one club badge that you would redesign, and the one club whose badge you really like. So Alex, I, I have to Alex come to you because I misunderstood the question. I thought it was your favorite club badge redesign. Now I'm not a big fan of these recent, you know, modernizing. Oh, okay, well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't kept I haven't kept track of redesigns as a whole. Well, I, I thought I thought she meant to ask, you know. In terms of which club does logo, <laughs> what do you like to redesign? Like, this is very embarrassing for 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 everyone involved. But let me give my yes. answer, and then you give your answer to a completely different question. So sure, I was thinking sure. my favorite <laughs> my favorite club redesign, um, and I'm not a big fan of like this simplification, minimalist sort of thing that they do. I feel like you lose a little bit of the history. Maybe I'm a bit old fashioned. Like even I like the Nantes and the Stade de Rang like redesigns in their own right, but I don't like what that they replaced like what I thought were really nice badges, but I do like Lil's redesign. I think it's quite nice. I think it looks good. Um, mm. And I think it's better than the previous one. So that was my answer. Um, that was my answer, I have to say. Uh, I guess I also like, which happened quite a few years ago, Lance's redesign and all that it was is that they just made the red and the yellow a bit darker than their previous coloring. And I think mm. to, the color, to the current badges color now. And I yeah. think that looks quite good. On the other hand, Lyon recently made their blue lighter and I still haven't forgiven them for it. So, <laughs> and they got rid of the gold aspects and everything. So, so those were my, were my answers, but now you answer a completely different question. Yeah, sorry about this, Kira. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> if there was one club badge that I would redesign, uh, just looking through every every badge in, in, in the league, I think uh, a lot of them have a lot of text on there, which is fair. Yeah, you, you have text on your on your club badges, but I think the one that I dislike the most is probably Twa. I don't I don't like their club badge that much. Hold on, I need to uh, check up Twa's badge. You carry on speaking. I'll, yeah, I'll give so you feedback. It's it's basically just Estac Twa and they have ten and nineteen eighty six at the top. It's 
yeah, it's it doesn't really appeal to me. You know, it doesn't move me at all. True, it looks you look crap. At other, yeah, I'm it just, just, just looks at it. Yeah, it it's not great. Like you look at look at other badges. They look at Ajaxio. They have I think what looks like a a lion in the in the in the badge, and they also have a um, a runner or a sprinter. I think on the other side. So that's that's interesting. There's a lot of interesting things happening in other badges. Like like you said, Leo. They have Ledog, which is of course emblematic of of their club badge you look at montpellier the traditional pattern nice even they have the eagle uh marseille yeah very classic om Zoetabu, uh very very classic you look at psg yeah nice lance very classic but yeah twa just yeah it doesn't move me so if there was one i would redesign i think i would uh redesign twa but to answer my favorite club badge in Liga, I think um, I think it has to be Toulouse. I think I like Toulouse's badge a lot. I think it has a lot of nice little intricate details in there. You've got a castle. You've got these nice little patterns. You've got a horse in there as well. It's, yeah, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice. A lot of lot of neat little detail packed in in one badge. So yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's what I'll go with. I also think that that's the. That's actually the Toulouse redesign, is it not? Is it? I think so. Maybe. Oh yeah, that that is that is the redesign. Yeah, so, maybe so yeah, there you go. I need hey, to change Toulouse's... my I need to change my answer too. Sorry, Lil, I actually do prefer the the Toulouse redesign. Next time, <laughs> next time, I'll put more research into all of the redesigns. <laughs> but we can agree somehow we've answered different questions, but the Toulouse one is the best, regardless. Yeah, we we've stumbled onto the right uh, right question and the right answer. <laughs> uh, by the end so there you go Kira. you have your answer Toulouse is our favorite club badge uh, redesign uh, and yeah with that I think we've come to the end of uh, the mailbag episode have you enjoyed this Alex? I thought it was fun I thought it was fun Um, yeah, yeah. it was enjoyable hopefully we didn't ramble too much yeah yeah hope, hopefully not hopefully not I think yeah this is a good uh, good good episode to do I think yeah we could potentially do this again at the end of the season maybe get, for maybe, sure we'll do lots of mailbags yeah. Um, yeah, we we like to talk. We like to talk. Whether <laughs> but people ask week, questions or not. But next week we'll do another deep dive. Well, one of us will, um, and that yes. will be be on Lil. That's why I had to get all of Ninad's um, Angel or Angel Gomez um, takes out as soon as possible <laughs> because he's going to be ducking next episode. Unfortunately, so yes. Unfortunately, so for a birthday, no less. But but it's okay. Yeah. So just to answer the very first question at most square, I hope you see who is more dedicated now. <laughs> but Yeah. yeah and think, who has think, less you're friends. It close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this was fun. Thank you so thank you so much, listeners, uh, and everybody who sent in, you know, their questions. And I hope that listeners who haven't sent in questions have found uh, this pod informative nonetheless. Uh, the next pod will be a deep dive on Paulo Fonseca's Leo with a special guest. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you for the next one. Have a great week.